You can go now. I'd like to invite the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John, almost at the end of your New Testament, chapter 4. You're going to be looking at uh, the first half of this last section of the chapter. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And if you're there, why don't you follow along as I read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God, the, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Father, I pray this morning that as we open your word that you would speak to our heart that you would illumine our understanding, not just intellectually, but in our spirit, that you would cause us to have spiritual perception and understanding, that you would change us because of our consideration of your word this morning, that we would open our lives to the effectual working of your Holy Spirit, to make us more like our Lord Jesus Christ, to reflect him more clearly. And I pray, Father, that we would be submissive to your work in our hearts as we consider and listen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're right in the middle of a very short series, five messages on uh, what is the church, and as we've talked about, we're We're not talking about the the whole broad uh, scheme of things, but uh, simply narrowing it down 
to the local church, which is a reflection of that uh, global body of Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the question or, or the statement, the church is a family that cares for one another. And we uh, talked about the uniqueness of that word caring in, in the context of, of uh, the text we were studying, that to care uh, means to think about, to meditate on, to turn over and over in one's mind, to look for solutions, uh, to worry about, um, to uh, have uh, you know constantly in our thoughts the kind of thing that uh, may keep you up at night or wake you up in the middle of the night. Uh, it's the kind of thing that disturbs your train of thought and um, occupies you whenever you uh, hit those moments of running in neutral. You're really not neutral. You're going to that thing that you're, uh, is on your mind as uh, you care about things. And we saw the unique uh, kind of uh, difference between caring for ourselves and caring for one another. The scripture says we are never to worry about ourselves. That caring in that sense should never be described of us concerning our own circumstances and our own needs and our own future. That God cares for us and we're to cast all of our anxiety and our care upon him. We're to put it in his hands. We're to trust him with our lives but Oddly enough, we are to care about one another in that way. And we're to look for ways to assist one another and to help one another and to, to be a part of the solution to one another's problems. That the church is a place where people are invested in one another's lives, caring about each other. But caring is only a part of the larger term, loving each other. Uh, if we were to think of love as a coin, um, it, it kind of has two sides to it. One side is this caring. That means I will do for you what you need no matter what it costs me. And I will do it for you because you need it. doesn't mean I'll always do what you want me to do. Um, sometimes we talk about tough love, and that's when you're doing for people what they need and they don't want. But <laughs> sometimes it, it requires that. But uh, the caring is only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is valuing each other, finding the worth and the value and the significance that is in one another. Now, when we looked at care, I confined the meaning rather uh, narrowly to the way that the word is used in the New Testament. But uh, when I looked at, uh, as I was meditating on, how do I distinguish between caring for someone and valuing someone? And I thought about um, those two terms. Um, I started making a list. What is characteristic of caring versus what is characteristic of valuing. And I decided I would go to Webster's uh, for this one and uh, do a little searching out. And, uh, and here's some definitions that show up when you look in the dictionary. Uh, to care is to have thought or regard, to make provision or look out for, to worry, to look after, to do things that keep something in good condition. 
as in uh, caring, caring for your lawnmower, caring for your vehicle, <laughs> caring for each other. You know, what, what is it that uh, you need done that will keep everything in good condition? Value, on the other hand, is defined this way, to hold dear, to regard or esteem highly, to appreciate or prize or treasure. And so as I was making my list with a line down the middle of the page, and I put care at the top and value at the top, and I started thinking, uh, how can I practically distinguish between these two? Caring is something you do. Yes, you may be thinking and worrying and turning over in your mind and looking for solutions, but, but really you're looking for ways to help. You're looking for a way to uh, be a part of the answer. You're looking for how can I uh, meet the need of this other person in the, in the church family? How can, I, uh, how can I be a solution for them? What can I do that will be helpful it's something that we do, whereas valuing someone is something that we believe. It's a way of looking at a person, a way of seeing them that causes us to cherish them, to treasure that person. Um, it's not so much an action as it is uh, a, a belief that you have about a person's worth and significance to you and to the body of Christ. Oftentimes when you're caring for people, it's because you have some kind of relationship with them. <clears throat> Parents care for their children because they're their children. <laughs> we have that relationship with them. Uh, spouses care for each other. Uh, families care for one another. You know, when one member is in need, uh, other members of the family rally around. Within the church, we care for one another because we have a relationship together within this family. We're in the body of Christ, in this congregation, in this location, and because of that, we care for one another. It was interesting when I looked up caring as a verb that uh, the most frequent way it popped up in the search engine was caregiver. And the most common definition of caregiver had something to do with the health care professions. Uh, for some reason or another in our society today, we have identified caregiving as what you do uh, for people when they're sick or uh, uh, invalid or some other situation where they need some uh, person to come alongside and help them out and the relationship of caregiver to the person in need is is the defining relationship um, it, it was uh, it was kind of interesting um, uh, my mother-in-law Mildred had a, uh, a caregiver that had been with that she was the first one that was hired. Her name was Patty. And uh, Patty was there from day one, from the first caregiver they needed at the home. She was there the whole time for five years. She was there every single day. And for five years, uh, she cared for uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And uh, she, uh, she grew to care for them very much. She 
grew to value them. She grew to love them. So that they, were, they became special to her. And um, one time uh, she uh, had, had some vacation time and they had some extra need and she took her vacation time to uh, kind of uh, meet their need after hours, so to speak. Uh, and then uh, when, when Mildred died, she came to the funeral and she stopped by to see how uh, my father-in-law was doing a couple of days after. Wouldn't you know that the bosses of her organization called her in and royally read her the riot act and chewed her out one side and down the other because when the patient dies, the relationship ends. You don't go back. You show no interest. You do not have any more to do with that person or their family. You go to the next person. You cannot get personally invested. And they really chewed her out for it. And I thought, and so that's the professional definition of a caregiver. Uh, someone who doesn't care, but who meets your needs. Very fascinating concept. But it was entirely based on a monetary relationship, an hour served, and that's the way the company that she worked for viewed it. Valuing a person has something more than that involved. Valuing a person has to do with their intrinsic worth. And it has nothing to do with what they need or don't need or what they give or don't give. It simply has to do with valuing them because of who they are. The intrinsic value or worth of a person. Caregiving is very frequently, as we've said, based in needs. But valuing someone typically grows out of the recognition of that person's uniqueness, their gifting, their attributes, their personality. As you get to know them, you begin to cherish who they are as they reflect their inner person, kind of coming out uh, in their life. So I ask the question of myself, where do we derive our value? What makes us valuable? Not just to one another, but objectively speaking, what gives us value and worth as people? And as you study the scripture, you find that that is rooted in the character and the creation of God. You go back to Genesis and the scripture says, uh, God speaking within the Trinity, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so he created man in his own image, male and female, he made them and he called their name humankind. He made us after his own self. He patterned us after his own person. He gave us uniqueness that is unlike any other aspect of creation. When you look at Genesis and you see the, the creative development of the, of the filling of the world with plants and animals and all the 
different things that God made. It's at the end of the sixth day that he comes to the part about making man and it's pulled aside and treated separately. And it says that he took dust from the ground and shaped and fashioned this man and he breathed into his nostrils the spirit of God, the breath of God, and that man became a living soul. And he became, in a sense, a hybrid. Uh, Someone breathing celestial air but walking on planet Earth. Someone who bore the character and image of God but lived within the material world. And so we derive our value from the fact that that we are made in His image. And when you look at the Scriptures and you study the Scriptures from start to finish, God talks about His love for us. Those of you that know me well and have listened to me pray, um, you you know that I often um, begin by praying... um, Thank you, Father, for your love. And one of the phrases that I value most in Scripture occurs many times in the Psalms. Your loving kindness is new every morning. Your loving kindness is new every morning. The image that that conjures in my mind is like a spring. When I was a... a, a, young boy we would go to uh there's springs all over florida and we would go to a place called lithia springs and there was a big swimming area that was a major recreation area but if you followed some of the trails you would come to some smaller springs and there was one spring that uh probably wasn't any more than six or seven feet across i mean it was just kind of like that And it was reported to be about 80 feet deep. But you could look in the top and you could see the bottom. It was crystal clear water. And you could see all the way to the bottom with the rock and everything. And it, it wasn't a boiling, roiling kind of violent thing. It's just that the water kept coming. And it flowed off in a little stream. And it was just constant. Every time I went there, I was fascinated by that little spring. I could go and check on it, and it was just the same, and the water was still flowing. And, and that's the image that comes to my mind when I think about the loving kindness of God being new every morning. It doesn't matter how much I need today. It doesn't matter how much I drink. It doesn't matter how much I use. Uh, it doesn't matter how much I take or share with others. When I come back in the morning, it's still brimful. It's still flowing fresh. I haven't diminished it in the slightest. I can never exhaust the love of God. I can never take away from it. It's an infinite supply that is available to me every single day of my life. And God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And when he explains why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, Redeemer, the explanation is, for God so loved the world. And when you consider the plight of lost people, 
the scripture says God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance because he loves us. Our intrinsic value at its very root and its very source is the fact that we were made by God in his image and he has set his affection upon us and he loves us. And he desires to have communion and fellowship with us. God, God does not have any needs. The theologians will tell you that rather quickly. And by definition, it's true. God is entirely independent and self-sustaining and he has no needs. It does not mean he doesn't have any desires. In fact, the scripture oftentimes expresses the desires of God, the heart of God, the things that he wants. And one of the things he wants is a man or a woman who will walk with him and listen to him and talk with him and share life with him to whom he can reveal his heart, who will open their heart and life to him in a divine relationship that is holy and precious with the eternal God that we can walk with him in that kind of communion. We are the object of his affection. We have greater value than any other created thing. You know, you hear today, a lot of people talk about how human beings have to, you know, give way to other equally important forms of life. Well, that's not a biblical worldview. The scripture says there are no other import, there are no equally or more important forms of life. Human beings are the crowning glory of God's creation. Jesus himself said, Matthew 6:26, look at the birds of the air. Are you not worth much more than they? Or, he says, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? You are more valuable than many sparrows, Luke tells us, 12.7. And 12.24 of Luke, how much more valuable are you than the birds? There is a uniqueness to human beings that makes them more valuable than any other living thing. In fact, that, by the way, does not give us an excuse to be abusive of the environment or to be cruel to animals or anything else because God gave it to us as a trust, a sacred trust, a stewardship. He said... Subdue it, rule over it, manage it, care for it. Christians should be leading in sound-minded ecology, but not stupidity. Human beings have the greatest value of all created things because God made us in his own image that we might share and walk with him in his nature.
Here's another thing that may give you pause, but I challenge you to think about it. Our sin nature and sinful behavior does not diminish our value nor negate our true worth. You say, explain that. How come our sin nature does not diminish our value? Well, look at the price God placed upon us sinners. He described our value on a place called Calvary when his only begotten son was stretched on a cross and nailed there and crucified for my sin. God said, I love you that much. I value you that much. You are worth to me the price of my son. That's value. In spite of my sinfulness, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So our sin nature does not negate our worth. It also, in our depravity, it does not extinguish the image of God in us, nor his gifts and attributes manifested through us. Look through history. Look at all kinds of cultures. Look at all kinds of countries. Everyone has forms of art. People paint. They make music. They write. They express themselves. They build things. They don't just construct them in a utilitarian way. Very often they construct them in ornate ways with uh, beauty and, and, and architecture that is stunning. And they're not believers. They're not Christians. Where does that come from? Many times people who do not name the name of Christ give their lives in crises or in times of war or in times of urgency for other people. They sacrifice. How many times have you read stories of people who gave their lives to save other people and there's no mention of them having any relationship with God? What causes that kind of unselfishness to rise in the heart. Where does all of this come from? It comes from the fact that God's image is within us. And there is, even in fallen human beings, the vestige of God's nature that is reflected through us. It is true to say that there is probably some good in every person. It is not true to say that we are good people who do bad things. But it is true to say we are bad people who do good things. Because the scripture says the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? All of us have gone astray. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks for God. We have all turned to our own ways. We are we are full of self-centered depravity. And when you speak of our moral nature, we are terribly fallen. But yet we maintain the vestige of God's image. And it leaks out of human beings all over the planet in a myriad of ways. People 
matter. People are valuable. People have great worth. So let's come back to the church. If we have a theology, a, a biblical basis of valuing human beings, and I've just given you that, what is the nature of our relationship within the church? Well, let me first of all point out, uh, you know, I, I remember the first time I heard the definition of agape love, that it was doing, uh, doing what another person needs regardless of what it costs and no matter how you feel. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty revolutionary thought. I haven't thought of that before. That sounds pretty good. It took me a while to realize that um, if that's all love is, that's pretty cold. You know, it, it, you, can meet, so you can care for someone that you don't care about. You know what I'm saying? You can care for people you don't care about. That, that was, in essence, what Patty's boss was telling her. I want you to care for these people, but I do not want you to care about them. And it's possible to do that. And it's possible to sort of more or less meet the needs of other people to give for this cause or that cause or to buy someone something that they need and, and do one thing or another and really not think very highly of them, not value them. It's kind of like throwing a dollar to the wino on Skid Row as you look down your nose at the pathetic disaster that he is. And you say, well, I did my good deed for the day. And thank God I don't have to stay down here. You see, it's possible to meet needs without caring about people. But when we grow to love people, to value them and cherish them, it's because in coming to know them, we begin to see what it is in them that God has put there in their uniqueness that makes them special. You, you get to know their, the way their mind works. You get to know what they like and what they don't like. You, you see what they're good at. You see their particular personality traits and attributes. This person's full of compassion. This person is really wise. This person is very gifted and artistic. This person um, is very practical and they give just concrete advice. This person has this ability or that. And as you get to know them, and you're kind of drawn to those positive attributes, you begin to value them. I um, was kind of meditating on how to talk about this message. I was, I was trying to look for ways. I'll, I'll put you all at ease because I'm not going to do what I'm about to say. But I thought about it. I thought about uh, just randomly going around the room and picking on some of you and talking about what I 
value in you, what I see in you, that reminds me of God. And, uh, you know, why I cherish you, why you're special. Um, I've known most of you long enough that I know some of you pretty well. I know most of you long enough that I could go around the room and talk about your warts, too, <laughs> and your weaknesses, <laughs> and your orderiness, but uh, that, that, wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be very helpful. But the fact is that as we get to know people, you know, do you see things that remind you of someone? You know, you, you, you come across something or whatever and it brings a person to mind. What is it that does that? Well, it's something they did or something that's like them. And you say, oh, it reminds me of so-and-so. As you get to know people, you get, begin to see them for who they are, you learn that every single person in some way or another reflects the image of God. There's something beautiful about them. To be sure, it's in a mixture. And sometimes the ugliness gets the upper hand when people's lives go south for whatever reason. And sometimes even then, if we understood, if we understood why someone's life has been tainted with bitterness, it may not make them less bitter, but it will make them more understandable. Because there's still hidden in there good things somewhere. And if they know the Lord, they are invested with his spirit. And, and there are things that begin to come out in those specific ways. I want you to look at a verse that's very curious right in the middle of this passage in, in 1 John. He says, um, in, in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God is in us and his love is perfected in us. What's this business about seeing God in the middle of a chapter on love? I mean, you're reading through there, love, 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 and oh, by the way, no one's seen God at any time. What? John, did you, doesn't that go somewhere else? Did you get this out of context? What, did you just have a random thought? Not at all. It's right where it belongs. No one has seen God at any time, but when we look at each other and see his glory and his beauty reflected, we see him. We see God in each other. And when we all come together, because no one of us is capable of manifesting all of the glory of God, when we come together and pool our uniqueness and our attributes and our beauty and our uh, characteristics that are like God, we get a fuller picture of God's love, of God's character, of God's nature. We are designed to reflect that. And so as we learn to value each other, we see God more clearly. 
It happens when we take the time to get to know each other. We take the time to find out what's going on inside one another's head, you know. Have those conversations. Um, one of the small groups has been has taken on the beautification of the church and around. Don't you like that? Isn't that neat? Aren't we being blessed by that? But you know, there's another layer of blessing that's going on. You have people working together who are fellow believers and they're learning about each other. There's nothing that will bring out the good, the bad, and the ugly, like working side by side. But as you do that, you start learning things. There are people that come and clean together in the facility, and they're learning things about one another, and they're learning things about the crazy old guy that sits in the office back there and his quirks, because I have some. And as we drink coffee together downstairs, and as we visit one another in times of need and in time of special need, don't just drop that meal off at the door, but if they feel like it, go in and visit a little bit and pray together. As we get to know each other, we can begin to value one another to see what's special about each person, why they're a blessing. And that builds a deeper bond of love. The church is supposed to be a place when we come, there's safe haven here. We're not stupid. We're not fools. We are not ignorant of one another's weaknesses. We're not deceived thinking that everybody in this room is a saint with a halo. You're not that kind of saint. You are a saint because you are set apart unto God and he's in the process of making you holy. But but then we begin to see that we're special People to God and to each other. We begin to value that. And it becomes a safe place to be because people care and love and value each other. Do you value the people around you? Do you know enough about them to value them? I want to encourage you, this should be a a deliberate thing, not an accidental thing, but an intentional thing. Get to know people. Take the time to talk to people. Find out what makes them tick to the extent that they're willing to share that. Don't be prying, but just listen and look and observe. It will make you thankful for who they are. And it will teach you how to pray for what they need to be. And it will build love within the body that will be a wonderful place. They will look from the outside, like in the early church, and say, my, 
I'm marveling at how those people love each other. It's just amazing. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would learn to cherish and value each other, but that our love would not stop at the doors, but that we would learn to value all human beings. We're all made in your image. We all have your likeness. We all will live forever somewhere, either in your presence because our sins have been forgiven through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, or separated eternally from you in hell because they haven't been. And you don't want that, Lord. You've expressed your desire, not willing that any should perish. And yet some will, many will. Don't let it be because we didn't care. Lord, teach us how to value people the way you do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.